welcome to the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. This is Monster Kid Radio, and I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show, and check out this song, Solid State Reverb. It's from the band The Nebulas. You can check it out on their EP release, Action Faction. Now, this album came out a few years ago, but they've got a new release coming up here in April. I can't wait for it, especially if it sounds anything like the EP, Action Faction. Go check them out at thenebulas.bandcamp.com or follow the link in the show notes when you're done listening to this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thanks for being here. Thanks for checking out the show, downloading the show, liking the show, reviewing the show, sharing the show, and shaking your fist at the show because I still have not gotten myself onto a weekly release schedule. I'm trying, ladies and gentlemen. I am trying, and I just got to thank you for all of your patience and all of your support and the gentle check-ins. You know, I've had a handful of you reach out to me just asking me how things were going, how's the podcast, how am I, that sort of thing. Thank you. I appreciate it. So I'm going to peel back the curtain a little bit, and then we'll talk a little bit about what's coming up on this episode of the podcast. As a lot of you know, and I apologize if this is old news to some of you at this point, I know a lot of you follow me on Facebook or we're actually friends in real life, and so you kind of know what's going on. But the TLDR is that my wife and I had an opportunity to go over to the Middle East and help open the region's first permanent haunted house attraction. It was called BBT Red Town, and it was in Salmaya, Kuwait. Yeah, that Kuwait. Beth and I had an amazing time, and our contract was for a little over three months. Unfortunately, we were not there for a little over three months. There are a number of reasons as to why. Uh, the one that we're most comfortable talking about right now is that uh, my wife actually got hurt. Beth got injured on the job site. So we are back here in the States. We're back home, actually. I'm at Monster Kid Radio headquarters. I'm back on my regular computer, using my regular microphone, sitting in my regular chair, wearing my regular pants, doing the podcast as regularly as possible. So my wife did uh, injure herself. We have a partial tear in her ACL and or MCL. We had an MRI done in the Kuwaiti hospital and we're actually going to be seeing an orthopedic doctor, orthopedist, orthopedic specialist. We're seeing a a doctor (laughs) uh, tomorrow morning as of this recording. And by the time this goes out, it will probably have already happened, but we're going to go see a doctor tomorrow, and uh, chances are there's going to be some surgery involved. Fingers and tentacles crossed. It's not too invasive, and it's not going to take her out of commission for too long. Although she's already out of commission. Uh, she's been walking around with a couple of crutches and a knee brace, and it's very difficult, gentlemen and ladies and everybody else, to see your partner struggle with being in so much pain. So. I've actually been her support system, which, you know, I'm not complaining about at all. I actually am glad that I can be that person. But because that's happening, I have not been focusing as much as I should or could or have been in the past on the podcast. So I'm very thankful that Steve Jarek sent me a ton of extra episodes that I was originally going to run while I was over in Kuwait. And that's what you're going to be getting this week here on the show. You know, I'll probably talk a little bit more about the personal stuff going on at the end of the episode. Let's go ahead and get to why you're here. Classic monster movies. Kevin Slick joined Steve Turek to talk about the second film in Universal's Dracula franchise. 
Dracula's Daughter. Yes, I know we've talked about this movie here on the show in the past, but you know what? I've been going for over 10 years now. We're bound to double dip, triple dip, but never ever skinny dip when it comes to these movies. Besides, everybody's viewpoint on these films is going to be different and unique, and I think it's a fun conversation that Kevin and Steve have about this second film in the Dracula run. When these recordings were actually sent to me, uh, it was going to be done as kind of like a Dracula family reunion kind of thing with the first Dracula, then Dracula's daughter, and then son of Dracula, but then I interrupted the whole thing because I wanted to get the Terror of Mechagodzilla episode in last week because it was so close to Godzilla Minus One, and I wanted to get that kaiju bump, you know, anyway. Two weeks ago, or two episodes ago anyway, Kevin and Steve talked about Dracula. That conversation continues this week with Dracula's daughter, and of course... We've got Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland, and speaking of Kaiju and Tokusatsu, we've got the Ultraman Beta Capsule Review, where Mark Natsuki's taking a look at the return of Ultraman. It's another jam-packed episode of Monster Kid Radio. You're going to hear the song that you're hearing right now in its entirety at the end of the show, but to get to the end of the show, you got to get to the middle of the show, and to get to that, I need to shut up and get on with the show. White Zombie, a new novelization of the classic horror movie from award-winning author Stephen D. Sullivan. Available now in print and all ebook formats. Find it on Amazon, Smashwords, drive Through Fiction, and other quality outlets. Also available in a special edition, including the complete movie script. Grab White Zombie before it grabs you. Details at sdsullivan.com. Dance, baby, dance, come and dance with me Hear the beat of the mountain sea Ride, baby, ride, come and ride with me Let your feet go easy What do you make of this? Where does the other end go? It dumps into the ocean It looks exactly like the South American Fantigua fish I hope you can take one alive, Sheriff I still believe that a human clawed that girl to death. The Beach Girls and the Monster. Starring John Hall, Sue Casey, and the glamorous Watusi dancing girls from Hollywood's famed Whiskey-A-Go-Go nightclub. Music by Frank Sinatra, Jr. You got a monster in the turf. Jinx, do you have a problem? You won't have after you meet the monster on the beach. If you see this ghoul, play it cool. Beauties in bikinis, laughing, singing, surfing, sinning. Beach party lovers making hey hey in the moonlight while the monster waits and watches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one will kill you.
Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Return of Ultraman, Episode 41, The Revenge of Alien Baltan Jr. Original air date, January 21st, 1972. Jiro, who's not feeling well, is awakened from sleep by the sound of his deceased brother's voice, warning him of shooting stars. He goes to the window just in time to see a shooting star crash into a nearby apartment still under construction, followed by the momentary appearance of a Baltan alien. Go brings Jiro back inside and, finding the boy's story hard to accept, sends him back to bed. Jiro stews on the fact that Go didn't believe him, so he calls his friend Susumu, who promptly sneaks off to the construction site with his dog Koro. While there, Susumu is confronted by Baltan Jr., who tells him to contact Monster Attack Team while causing Koro to vanish. The terrified boy gets in touch with Go, who promises to meet with him. In the meantime, the enterprising youngster visits the construction site to speak to the workers. Stepping on a red substance, Susumu is absorbed into the building by a thick cloud which draws the immediate attention of MAT. Before they take action, Jiro runs into the building to save his friend, followed by Go and the rest of Monster Attack Team, where they learn the whole setup is a dreadful trap engineered by Baltan Jr. They now find themselves imprisoned inside robot monster Bilgamo, which naturally begins blowing Tokyo to bits. Episode 41 continues the trend of exploring the connected Ultraverse by bringing back a past villain in the form of Baltan Jr. Interestingly, the alien made such an impression with its first attack in 1966's original series that a kid like Jiro can immediately identify it here as Baltan. While Baltan Jr. has a different color scheme and other design variations, It is intentionally meant to recall the original Alien Ninja, setting up a time-honored tradition of slightly altered versions of famous characters reappearing from series to series. The Revenge of Baltan Jr. is not simply a nostalgia trip, though. The episode centers on what is now the relationship at the heart of the show, the bond between Go and Jiro, who are struggling to resolve the question of how to relate to one another in the wake of Ken Sakata's untimely death. Should they act like brothers or something else? It's a fairly mature treatment of grief for a story that features an alien cicada man and self-assembling robot. But that's the strength and charm of the return of Ultraman. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. Dr. Jekyll, yearning for love and discovering on the eve of her marriage the monstrous inheritance that was her birthright of fear. Oh, I still shudder when I recall that face, like some perverted mask of evil out of a legend of horror. Then then you saw him as Hyde? Once, 
At the very last, just before the mob caught him, they almost tore him to pieces. The villagers broke into this tomb and drove a stake through his heart. Daughter of Dr. Jekyll, terrified that she become the disfigured thing that was her father, a vampire drawing sustenance from bestiality. and drive it through my heart and bury me beside my father. Well, do it! Do I have to kill myself? If you love me, please kill me! Yes, the night holds terror. An evil reborn from the grave of Frankenstein, bringing a macabre nightmare to a teenage world of rock and roll emotions. For the first time, a female descendant of the infamous Frankenstein, deadlier, more terrifying than ever before. He needed her kiss to satisfy his desire, but he wanted her soul for the fiendish creation that was to rule the earth in terror. I'm sure of one thing. You better hurry before the brain cells are damaged completely. Frankenstein's daughter. Now everything was ready. Who would be his first victim? Who will feel the cold sting of death? Kill him. Kill him! Call her off. Don't make me shoot. Kill her head and shoot. She can't even uh... feel it. Kill him! Back! Get back! Kill him! For the most suspenseful and gripping moments you have ever spent, see this masterpiece of Scream a Second Terror. You will never forget it. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. The second part of the gigantic Dracula article appeared in FM 23. It started with a look at the Spanish version of Dracula, then moved on to the first sequel and our topic for today, Dracula's Daughter. Here are some highlights from the article. In 1936, Garrett Fort was entrusted with the task of devising a film sequel to Dracula. The screen credits state that the scenario was based on Dracula's guest. At the time he scripted Dracula's Daughter, it was reported that Garrett Ford was the owner of a $30,000 collection of works on black magic, voodooism, and kindred occult subjects. His library on these matters, it was said, was exceeded only by the late Harry Houdini's collection. The master magician's books were willed to the Smithsonian Institute. Dracula's Daughter was Ford's ninth movie story dealing with weird happenings including Frankenstein, the original Dracula, and the Invisible Man. Edward Van Sloan, who had previously been seen in Frankenstein, Dracula, the Mummy, and Death Takes a Holiday, returned in the original role of Dr. Van Helsing. The daughter of Dracula herself, Gloria Holden, was a London-born actress who at the time of her role stood 5 foot 5 inches tall, weighed 124 pounds, had brown hair, and an olive complexion. The first day on the set, she complained to the director, Lambert Hillier, after studying her script, why this author has made me a ruthless vampire, a beast in human form, 
I don't believe any woman has ever been asked to play such a poisonous role before. He's made me an insatiable fiend. I would just like to meet the man who wrote such an inhuman role for me. He must be a monstrous, horrible person. Obligingly, Hillier sent for Fort, who appeared to be a mild young man with a sense of humor. After Miss Holden got over her embarrassment, she explained, When I have nightmares, I can never remember them next day. You must have a marvelous memory. You put all the scary situations right into your script. Next up, Son of Dracula, which will be covered next edition of Monster Kid Radio. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next time. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. wanted to save a friend. She wanted a world of obedient killer zombies. Jesse James will kill us for what you are doing. Jesse James will be caught and hanged in Shelby. Her fiendish Frankenstein monster stalks the West's most fearless outlaw. Strength, Jesse James, you will need it. His and her horror. Daughters of Satan, now revealed on the screen for the first time. A secret cult of lust crazed witches torturing their victims with fire and desire. Daughters of Satan. An ancient meeting with the horrifying power to transform an innocent young girl into an insatiable she-devil. Now, I have a theory about when the collars fade. It means that the coven is out functioning. They have left the painting and are performing as witches. It's horror that's guaranteed to make your blood scream and your mind Daughters of Satan, make a date with horror, his and her horror, a double dose of death shown together on the same theater program. This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned. And don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. 
Hello, everybody. Welcome again to Monster Kid Radio. This is Steve Rivers, Joan Rivers' younger brother, who's subbing in for Derek. Really, I'm Steve Turk from the Diecast Movie Podcast. Derek asked me to help fill in some episodes for him while he is doing his journey with Beth to Kuwait. And I'm sure you're following along the all the stuff they're doing over there. And I hope Derek is having a good time, and I hope everybody is safe and having fun as they work on their haunts, building them up and getting them structured. This episode, we're going to be talking about Dracula's daughter, and I'm joined again with Kevin Slick, who we talked earlier about Dracula in an episode that came out, I don't know when, because I don't know when Derek's releasing these episodes, but it came out prior to this one. What <laughs> time in the past, yes, we do. Sometime in the We're not so- who knows? And then in, in the future, Kevin will be back on Monster Kid Radio. We'll be talking about Son of Dracula. But I'm joined again with the amazing one and only Kevin Slick. How are you doing today, Kevin? Well, good. I've been uh, actually one of the things I've been working on that might be of interest to some of our listeners is um, the uh, most recent uh, Monster Bash Highlights DVD. I always video uh, stuff at the Monster Bash, and right now I am working on editing down the um, highlights video from the October 2023 Monster Bash. Um, Usually the way it works is I end up shooting about eight hours or so of video, and the goal then is to get it under two hours so it fits neatly on a DVD, so... I have to go slashing through the video like Conan would go slashing through a horde of barbarian invaders. And that's kind of my, that's my mindset. I, I, I keep Conan in the forefront of my mind, slashing through editing there. I, I can imagine. I know what soundtrack you're listening to in your mind as you go through it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Conan, the film editor. That's, that's the one of the, the, the books they never put out, but I think it could be a good, I think it could be a good possibility at some time. And the, the October Bash, Monster Bash, for listeners that didn't go, it was a wonderful time. I mean, you had um, Zandor, Borkoff, you had um, Linda Miller, you had Carl Craig, you, you had Tony Isabella, yeah. and you had Gregory Moffat. So you had a, a eclectic group of guests. And that's what I love about the uh, this October bash. It's, it's a little bit of something there for everybody. Yeah, we got to uh, we got to watch the restored 3D version of Robot Monster, which was it was astounding as far as the quality of that restoration. I mean, never never has a I'm doing air quotes bad movie looked so good. It really I was really impressed by the the 3D nature of it and. It was that was a delightful highlight for me of that weekend because so many people there just love that movie. I mean, it's it's. <laughs> I mean, how do you explain it to anybody? You don't. You just have to see it, and it you, you either find it just immensely charming or you're just confused by it. But I'm in the immensely charming department of that movie. I'm charmed by it too. And Bob Fermanek of 3D Film Archives did a. Him and his team did a wonderful restoration of it, and he was also there at the Monster yes. Bash. Yeah, it was clearly a labor of love, and that, that really came across. And there's one thing I think a lot of people who go to the Bash can relate to. I mean, for most of us, this, our whole fandom is a labor of love. You know, we're we're just connecting to these films because they bring up something 
for us that, that we love. It might be nostalgia, memories, or just the experience we have of watching them. And that is really, um, that's a, that's a good thing. I think it's an important thing. It's something I've said before. Um, I think one time somebody, um, asked me about monster bash, what, what it was like and what I was doing. And, and I was sharing it and they said, wow, it sounds like a lot of people that never grew up uh, attending it. And I said, no, people at the bash never gave up. This is the people that never gave up believing in magic and believing in, you know, enjoyment and fantasy and just also having a good time and not having to be so, I don't know, deep about everything. It, it can just be a really good time. And then all the listeners, I don't know the dates off the top of my head, but the summer bash will not be in June. It'll be in July due to um, the hotel being booked up with a massive amount of weddings. But if I remember the guest list correctly, um, you have Claude Rain's daughter coming, Victoria Price. We also, you also have um, um, Danny Roebuck. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember who else is going to be there. I believe my friend's going to be there. Of course, there is Sharon Baird. Um, you know, yeah. a lot of people remember her. She was one of the Mouseketeers. She was also in Rat Boy and did a lot of Sid and Marty Croft characters. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be July 18th, that weekend, 18th, 19th, 20th, 21st. Well, it's actually the 19th, 20th, and 21st. Thursday, for those of you in the know, a lot of people arrive at the bash early on Thursday because uh, Jeffrey Curtis generally starts showing movies at some point during Thursday, and he just kind of runs through whatever films he happened to have brought with him. And it's, that's always a delightful time. Plus, uh, the Creepy Classics store is usually open on Thursday as well, so there's your chance to get in and, and get some of those great DVDs, Blu-rays, models, that sort of thing, before everyone else descends on the place, like a hungry pack of locusts. That is true, and um, of course, Listeners, if you haven't gone already, you know, order your tickets now and you get the discounted rate. And of course, you can get your hotel room before they're all gone. I think all the vending yes. tables are gone. That's, uh, I think they've maxed out of the vendors and I think that's sold out within a day or two after the, the, after they were available. So it was, it's, mm-hmm. it, things go quick sometimes. So don't hesitate. Go, go get that room reservation and get your tickets. Yes, by all means. Uh, I, I'm always surprised. I guess having been to bashes since the first one in 1997, uh, that I encounter people that, that still sometimes say like, you know, yeah, I've been hearing about this for a while. I've just never come to it before. And I'm thinking, what have you been waiting for? For crying out loud, <laughs> get, get yourself to the bash. And uh, because uh, if you're listening to a, a podcast like this, these are your people. These are your brothers and sisters that you never knew that's that's the people that are at monster bash um i mean where else are you going to get into like a deep discussion over a you know over a beer at the bar about you know claude rains or uh you know um whether janet blake in uh dracula's daughter was a more interesting ingenue than, you know, Mina in Dracula or something like that. That's, I can guarantee you, you would get into that discussion at Monster Bat. There would be someone that would be glad to talk with you about that. And um, the two things I'll mention about it before we move on to our movie. One, Elizabeth Shepard is going to be there. I just remembered that. Ah, yes. And also, Tomb of Ligeia. Yes, Tomb of Ligeia. 
and I just realized I've interviewed most of these people already. So if you want to get a little background, you can go over to Diecast Movie Podcast and hear some of those interviews. And the other thing I want to mention is there's, I know of a couple people that said they could never make it because it was always in June, always around a certain day. And I told them this year it's in July. Then their, their eyes lit up and said, this, this is the year. So I do know there's a few people that are coming because of the switch in the month and that, and they're taking advantage of it and um, they're coming to it for the first time. At least that's what they're telling me. I'm going to, I know your names. So if you guys don't show up, I'm going to, I'm going to send you messages. Like, where were you? Come on. This was your moment. Indeed. Dracula's daughter. We, we talked earlier and monster kid radio about Dracula and Dracula's daughter. This was my first time ever seeing the movie. So I was really happy to pick it because I've always been meaning to watch. And I got that, the Dracula universal collection has all the, on the Blu-ray, it has all the Dracula movies and, you know, one nice set. And it was a it was a great excuse to watch it. But why Dracula's daughter? Well, um, when you asked about uh, what films I might like to talk about, uh, you know, I had just watched some of these films as I normally do uh, over the Halloween season, and it just occurred to me that oh, this is, yeah, Dracula, the Dracula family, Dracula and his his son and his daughter. This could be kind of a fun little thing to do and as we talked about in the Dracula episode and we'll talk about here and in the next one these are three films that even though they are certainly iconic and part of the you know the the film lore of, of every monster kid um, they they've often been critiqued or they get a lot of there's a lot of critique of these films that I I think sometimes is maybe comes from the way people are watching them and what they're expecting out of it. And perhaps if they approach them with a different kind of mindset, they might enjoy them a little bit more. Uh, this one too, Dracula's Daughter, I think is is interesting in that of um, it's one of the sequels uh, in the you know in the in the canon of films that picks up directly from the end of the last movie. Uh, Bride of Frankenstein certainly does that too, where it starts with, you know, with the way the last film ended and we follow it right through here. Some of the other movies, uh, the mummy ones or the Wolfman ones, some of those don't do that necessarily as much. Some, you know, in the later films, later universal films, they do have some uh, narratives that kind of run through this, like, oh yeah, well, we know that the Frankenstein monster was encased in sulfur or he was in the flood or he was fell into the swamp and the quicksand or whatever, things like that. This is one of the ones that, that is a really direct sequel. This follows directly, although it, in its way, it diverges pretty quickly from the, the plot line and idea of Dracula, uh, the, the character is obviously different, but you've got Edward Van Sloan in there, which is kind of a nice carryover um, as the uh, the character, you know, that he typically plays, the scientist who's trying to convince everyone that vampires are real and, you know, and they're sort of stumbling around trying to catch on. Although in this one, I think it's more interesting in that the vampire or the existence of a vampire is played a lot more subtle in this one than in Dracula. As we talked about in the Dracula episode, 
there's times where you're shaking your head, going like, "Come on, people, get with it! Like you haven't figured this out yet. Come on, it should be obvious." Uh, here it's a little more subtle. It's not quite, you know, it's not. Um, and that's perhaps one of the things I find I'm finding more interesting with this film as as I've watched it over the years is it it exists for me simultaneously as a horror film within the classic horror genre, but it also exists as kind of a romance film. It exists as a um, a romantic triangle movie where you've got competition of the, the two women um, in the storyline, and that's kind of interesting. It plays out that way as well. I'm curious, what were some of your thoughts of seeing it for the first time? What did you know? That- well, I thought it was interesting that it was virtually direct sequels. A lot of people always say, I always wonder what it would be like when the police show up and everything else. How are they going to explain this? Well, this movie yeah. actually, 1936, it goes right into it. And of course, they don't believe him. They, you know, they think he's crazy. The interesting thing is, in, in my mind, well, he, he shouldn't have had to explain too many people, you know, like to get a defense because he should have had Dr. Seward and Jonathan Harker mm-hmm. and Mina. You know, they should have, you know, shown up and been like, no, no, what he's saying is true, but they're, they're totally gone. So now he's got to re-explain it to a bunch of other characters. They left him in the lurch in that one. <laughs> yeah, good point. They're like, yeah, we believe you. We know it's true, but we're, we're done with this. We're, we're, we're moving on. <laughs> so, so continuity wise, I could say that would be like the only thing I would say is a flaw. I thought was interesting with this movie. It shows more than I think any other vampire movie that Universal has the tragic consequences of being a vampire and how you do not want that life. And that is shown so well with Gloria Holden, you know, playing the Countess. She is excited that Dracula is finally dead and she can, and she's thinking I can break this curse. She gets the body. She does the stuff to get the curse broken. It doesn't work. She tries. The doctor has this thing with hypnosis where you can, you can get yourself out of it because it's an addiction type thing. And like an addict, she wants to get away from this addiction as, as, as in her mind going for it. And she's trying all she can to get out of it. And eventually you just see her, like her shoulders, not literally, but figuratively, slump as the movie goes near the end and she realizes, no, I'm doomed. Um, and if I'm going to be doomed, I'm going to want him to be with me, which is the romantic triangle part of it. But I thought it was just, you feel so sorry for her character because she's trying to end the curse to get out of it. It's it's very Larry Talbot-like. A full yeah. Larry Talbot. I mean, this is, you know, this is before the Wolfman, before all that stuff. And I think this was a template for that movie that Universal did later on was the tragic character who wants to get that mold. And I think this movie really is, is excellent because of that. Yeah, I would agree. That, that is, that's something that strikes me as a really mature decision in the filmmaking because they're, they're stepping out of just more of the straight ahead scare you with the horrible creature sort of thing. Um, yeah, I think Larry Talbot is a great um, reference point. I mean, in uh, uh, House of Dracula, you have Carradine's 
Dracula, who at least claims to be wanting to, you know, uh, undo this curse, but but he, he seems like he really wasn't serious. He was just fooling. Um, but this, this, you know, she comes across as, as somebody truly, you believe, like, um, she wants to be rid of this, but can't, as you said, and, and that, that introduces, like, an element of um, pathos, or an element of, uh, you know, you can identify and feel some sympathy for the character, sort of um, in the same way that, that, like, the Frankenstein monster portrayed by Carlock in in some of the films, you know, had had this element of we're sorry for this character because of what, you know, he's been, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry Lee the Wolf had. We're sorry for this character because of where they've been, but like they don't seem to be wanting this. This happened upon them somehow. We don't know how she became a vampire necessarily. That's not in there, but it, it, it certainly implied that it wasn't her choosing. And so that's, that becomes an interesting element in it. Um, yeah, and as I said, it, it uh, there's a lot more of the film, I think, that doesn't happen in castles with spider webs. So that's kind of a, that to me sets it in a different a different kind of world. It's um, perhaps a more modern vampire, more modern Dracula. Um, Certainly, uh, in Dracula in '31, it does the like what what era the the film is set in is a little bit vague because they you know they, they come to London and it's obviously London in, in the 20th century that's clear but um, there's more of an old world thing and you know people are driving around in cars and things like that and they're doing more uh, work that would imply this is an, a newer situation. Um, and so it plays out to me, again, you mentioned, we talked about the, the triangle between um, the character of Jeffrey Garth and, and his assistant, Janet, and and uh, Countess Zaleska. Uh, that's kind of an interesting, again, that's an interesting, uh, an interesting triangle, interesting dynamic, uh, the, the character of, of Dr. Garth and his assistant secretary, you know, Gal Friday, whatever her position is, is pretty fascinating because they have this sort of, you know, bantering back and forth kind of thing. It's clear there's something there, there's a tension there, and they play that pretty well. Like, if that was a straight sort of, I mean, this, this film could be a straight kind of romantic triangle. Here's the, the man and the woman he's been working with for a long time. They obviously have some tracks that we don't really know how far it's gone or what's up. Here comes this exotic, oh, this exotic countess. She's in here. She's, you know, and who's he going to go with? You know, you could, it could be an interesting film if you took out the vampire element as well. And that's, I think, I think that's the strength of the film. It is that it's kind of interesting, even when we're not being vampire about it. Oh, I, I agree with you on those parts. And I really like Gloria Holden's countess mm -hmm. because she yeah. sells it very well you know when she has the um the scarf or whatever wrapped around her so all you can see is her eyes yep. and you focus on that and, and and just how again 
I want, I want to use the addiction part. You know, she wants to get through this addiction. And I think that is something that, you know, there was addiction problems then, there's addiction problems now. I think that's a that's an evergreen type thing. So you have a storylines that people can draw on from their own personal experience, whether it's the love triangle, whether it's trying to get out of this re, this abusive relationship she was in with Dracula, which I think also shows Dracula's gone and yet he still has control over. And how many times have we had um, people that were traumatized by parents, relatives, whatever, a situation and the person is gone, but yet they are there still affecting the person that was scarred by them. So there, there are so many things in this lean movie. I mean, lean in time, because I think it's like yeah. 71 minutes or something like that. It's very yeah. efficient with its use and everything is excellent with that. The only thing I find, the only thing I, I, I would ding a little bit, I, I don't really like the ending. The ending doesn't, it doesn't stick the ending perfectly. And mm-hmm. in my opinion, uh, and how it could have been done, but I think otherwise everything was just so spot on with how they went by script wise and acting wise. It's, it's really a strong movie going through it. I mean, Otto Kruger does this job where he realizes what's going on. Like, Oh, I'll help you. Van Helsing. I'll defend you. Even though I'm a psychiatrist, I'm not a lawyer. You know, I'll do the best I can because I understand what your work is. And you can see that mentor student relationship and it. And maybe I'm, this is just hitting me now. Maybe this is really about mentors and, the, and their disciples because you have the Dracula and his disciple and the countess. And then you have Van Helsing and Jeffrey, you know, Dr. Garth. So that, yeah. so there's so many elements that you can look at this movie and, and write an essay on. Yeah, and I think that you're bringing up a great point there that um, reminds me when I used to um, teach writing, you know, with with younger students, um, a lot of times people would want to write, you know, they'd want to write science fiction, they'd want to write kind of adventure, things like that. And um, because that's the kind of movies they liked watching or the books, you know, comic books they liked reading and things like that. And the thing that was that was often that you had to really get, you know, the, the to grasp was, yeah, these movies you're watching are really exciting, and you love it, but a good a big part of why you love it is because of the character development. You know, like uh, this was this was a, a long time ago, back in the you know eighties and nineties, and so it was like Star Wars. Yeah, it's like well, of course you love it because there's lasers and spaceships, all that kind of stuff. But you, one of the reasons you love it is because you're not really sure is Luke going to end up with Leia or is Han going to end up with Leia? And what's this thing with, with Darth Vader and Luke? You know, like, what's that all about? Like that, and in this case here, you're, you're describing um, a movie, and we've probably all seen ones like that because I know we've all watched some, as Derek calls it, not-so-classic horror genre films, where it's like, oh, there's a vampire, he's fighting people, Okay, the end. He gets stabbed. The end. It's like no, it's 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 interesting because the characters themselves are interesting, and these are very three dimensional characters, uh, as you as you mentioned. Um, one of my favorite characters in it. I, I agree. Gloria Holden is just is just wonderful. Um, I don't know the pronunciation of 
uh, Irving's last name is it Michelle or Pico who played Sandor, her her assistant. You're asking um, me to pronounce. I have not. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, it's spelled it's spelled P I C H E L. Somebody will uh, will listen to this and, and and you know send Derek an email or something like that. He is just so great because he's. And you've seen it's one of the wonderful things about these Universal films is you see these characters in so many movies. You see them all over the place. He is so great as this character, and you know, in the first part of the movie, I'm sort of wondering, you know, why he's her like assistant or something or her servant. Why is he not supporting her? Why is he not? You know, yeah, let's try to get you out of this curse or something like that. You know, he's like, no, no, no. You know, he's like, I'm going to be free. No, you're not. No, you're not. You know, I'm playing happy music. No, it's not happy music. You know, it's like everything that she's saying, he's he's cutting her down. And then later in the film, of course, you find out what his motivation is, which is, is interesting. Uh, I think that, again, that makes an interesting part of the storyline is, uh, I don't know if I want to give the, Spoiler as to what's going on with that, but but he has a reason for why he wants her to remain a vampire, and you know he, he's he's trying to play this angle for his benefit. But I love his character, like you know, he's like the night is beautiful, the night is death. You know, I see the stars, the stars speak of death. <laughs> I hear the dogs, no, they're wolves. <laughs> everything is just he's just down on everything, but it's. It's uh, it's great. He is a he is a great character in that film. I think the way I look at his character in that particular part, here she is an addict that's that thinks she's broken her addiction, and he's the dealer who's like, no, yeah. no, you're going to come back. You're going to do this and that, and because he's 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 for the his, his way of justifying ends to the means because he has a promise that yeah. was given to him, which was not given to him to us in the movie. Until the end, yeah. We're told about, and that that's that's the part about the ending. I'm thinking if this movie would have been maybe five minutes longer and included a couple of scenes between her and Sandor that would depict the earlier stuff, you know, it doesn't even mm-hmm. have to, it, it could have been like a, a minute scene here and a minute scene there, just two little things to help us out to understand a little more about their relationship. I think then it would have the ending would have been. It would have it would have landed better, the way the ending lands now. And, and, and yes, Derek will probably put the spoiler ones up because we're going to end up. I have to spoil the ending. You know, he shoots her with the arrow. Now, did he? Did he? Yeah. Did he meant? Did he mean to shoot Doctor Jeffrey and miss and hit her and kill her? That's the you know, or did he want to kill her first because he knew she was the vampire and get rid of her because he she was not going to fulfill her promise and he was vindictive that i don't know because it's not it's not there it's left for interpretation i'm thinking he meant to kill her and because he felt wrong and i think that's why i'm seeing that 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 we needed a scene or two just again little small things that would have sold that ending so much better why he wanted to get his (laughs) revenge instead of being told that literally just a few minutes prior to that happening yeah that's a good point um i have watched this movie many times and literally um it it does vary for me back and forth like when i watched it the other day i was like oh he meant 
to kill her because he was angry at her. But other times when I saw it, it was like, no, he was aiming at, at Dr. Garth and he missed and hit her because they were standing right next to each other. It would be, be a fairly easy thing to do with a bow and arrow to not be super accurate. Um, but yeah, I could see that. And that, it, as it is, it's, it's an interesting thing. It does. Um, and it, this is an element of, I think, some of these universal films of that that era. I mean, actually, most all of the universal films of the classic era that we talk about are fairly short by today's standards. But this is one of, as you mentioned, I think it's, um, it is 71 minutes, probably, or 70 minutes. It, it really is pretty quick, um, which is great. It makes it a perfect film to watch on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, when it's raining outside and it's autumn, but um, it is a lot of those films do kind of wrap up pretty quick. Like you know, get to the thing and boom, we're 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 done with it. Um, I, I like the fact that you see a moment of sort of tenderness between uh, the characters of Doctor Garth and Janet, which to me is kind of again sort of. It was, it was an important sort of thing, because all during the film, you see them kind of back and forth with each other, kind of arguing like, like they were a married couple that have known each other for a long time, which in the, they're not married, but they've certainly known each other, and they, they sort of banter and bicker back and forth. But then you see that moment at the end where it's like, oh, yeah, there's something there. They're, they both recognize it in that moment when, when they almost lost each other. They recognize that, you know, so I, I imagine those characters went on and got married. That's just the way I see, see that film ending. You know, that's the film after the film um, that plays out well. But again, the the sort of romantic intrigue in that movie um, is, for me, one of the things that makes it. And as you mentioned, the reluctant vampire is an interesting, more three-dimensional character. And I don't know, you know, I think we talked about the, of the of the three films we're discussing, this is probably the least known or the least watched of any of them. Uh, and I would say it's probably the least like a typical horror film of, of the three, too, because it plays out well as, as just as drama, and it just so happens that one of the people in the drama is the vampire. Well, I definitely agree with you. It's it's the least of the three popularity wise, you know, or known mm-hmm. for for being known. Um, and really, if they would have added those few extra minutes to flesh out mm-hmm. Sandor's character more, then you would have had true two love triangles, because you would have had the yeah. you spelled out. Then you would have had the one between him, the Countess, and Doctor Garth. So you would have had these two overlapping triangles, and then that would have been. Um, definitely going full drama and then it would have, it would have worked. I think that's what helps this movie work so well. In my opinion, that the hold up so well is that it's yeah. more of a drama than a horror film. I mean, there's horrific elements in there. There is a body count. There are victims yep. and there are things that happen, but it's, it's definitely, you know, a, a drama, a dramatic piece that, that, with the tension and the possibilities, which we've already brought up of different storylines. And I'm sure there's probably listeners out there to probably say, well, you're forgetting it could also have this storyline, that storyline. And I said, and I'm thinking that's an idea of a good movie 
or a great movie mm-hmm. where you can rewatch yeah. it and you can pick up different angles or different points of view. So I think this one also has for the average person, the more replayability, you know, where you can watch it more and more often and, and be able to pick up those different ideas if you didn't pick them up yeah. the first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And that's, um, it's, um, but just again, like the best of these classic horror films that we really love, uh, most of them have a really compelling story with compelling characters that, you know, I mean, for example, if we, we uh, talked about the Wolfman at some point, you know, so if the Wolfman was not a movie about a werewolf, but was about this guy named Larry Talbot who returns home to his, you know, ancestral home, but say he's, he has some sort of addiction or affliction that's not supernatural, that film could have played out just the same way, pretty much. Um, and it could have been a fascinating film about a person coming to grips with this challenge in their life, whether it's, you know, and um, again, I think that's what makes the best of these films really work. Um, it's, it's fun, it, you know, certainly as kids when I was seeing this stuff, it was fun seeing the Wolfman or seeing um, the Frankenstein monster. But then as you get older, you realize, like, well, there's also this fascinating story about the guy that created him and what was going on in his head. And how does it, you know, how, how is it sometimes that what we most desire ends up destroying us? That, you know, that's Greek mythology. That People have been telling those stories for thousands of years, and we'll keep on telling them, I think, too. And also, what I love about this 1936 production is how strong the two lead female characters are. You know, yeah. And my Marguerite Churchill is Janet Blake. You know, she's... She's doing this job because she doesn't need the money. She wants the guy. I mean, really, she's just there yeah. because she wants the guy. This is like, oh, this is my way to be close to you because I want you. And and, and she comes outright lies to the other, you know, the other person. She does not like it. She doesn't want that challenge. She's like, no, I'm the one pursuing him, not you. And and not realizing what is she, what is she? She thinks she's battling a normal woman instead of a supernatural woman in the countess. Yeah. And I think it's just interesting in the countess realizes, Oh, I got this rival also. And it's just, I think done so well. And Jeffrey is just oblivious to, you know, it's like, he's yeah. oblivious. He's not oblivious, but he is oblivious. And he's a psychiatrist who doesn't really pick up on it. It's kind of, it's like the doctor healed thyself, but he doesn't see his own affliction. Well, and as, as it was with, in some of the films of that era, too, like some of the thinking of sort of films like the Catherine Hepburn or actresses like that in there, it's clear when you're watching, it's like there's a woman and the guy, and the guy might be like, you know, a, in this case, a doctor, well-respected sort of character, but it's clear that she is really the person that's in charge. He's kind of clueless at points, and if, if she wasn't there, he'd be in a whole lot more trouble. Uh, and so that's, that's a marvelous, we played out piece too, where it's kind of like, you know, like you should just listen to her more often, pal. You'd, you'd be better off. Correct. And I just find it a really fun movie to watch 
in that I shouldn't say fun, fun meaning as a, as a film enthusiast where you like to watch different things. This is not a movie that is fun as in like, you're going to laugh at. There are some comedic scenes, especially yeah. involving the police and, and the, yeah. and the body and that kind of stuff and all that little parts going on with the wind with Scotland yard. Um, so there are some comedic areas there, but it's not a fun movie, you know, dealing with the topics that I'm talking about or the themes that we've been talking mm-hmm. about, but it, it really works out well. And it's kind of interesting because Van Helsing is in this movie and he is helping Jeffrey figure out Dr. Gar figure out what is going on, but he's always mm-hmm. a step behind, you know, they, they show up, like almost always right after things, right after things, right after, except at the very end when they show up in time uh, to take care of Sandor. But really they take mm-hmm. care of Sandor, but the Dracula's daughter has already been dealt with. So it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's kind of interesting how the mentor role is there, but it's not the normal, typical way it's doing because they're not coaching him. He's off. He already knows what he's got to do, and is going right there and made a beeline to it, and and taking care of it. And, and like you said, that how this movie time wise set up, they have biplanes, so they got planes, you know, and so they are going across the you know the water and traveling by technology that you didn't see in Dracula. So it's amazing how in 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 the span of a day, well, not even a day, but the the technology technological improvements were great. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think with any of the any of the uh, Universal films uh, of that era, there there are certainly some elements that you know don't always jive in terms of when it's supposed to be set and what the what the exact sequence of things and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think and again, as you had asked at one point, like why why talk about this film? Um, And I think probably ultimately, my hope is. That maybe someone who hasn't watched it or hasn't watched it in a while would go back and enjoy it, having some different ways to look at it. Uh, because, you know, within uh, the Monster Kid world, there's just so many movies. There's so many movies and so little time. As far, you know, I'm sure all of us are like, oh, yeah, I want to watch that. Oh, yeah, we've got like 50 films that would be on that list. Of, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to watch that because, you know, I've got. I just was at Monster Bash and picked up 40 new DVDs or Blu-rays and now I can put those in the, in the queue to watch those, you know? Um, so there's so many, so many films to watch and you might, some of these films might just get swept uh, aside, but you know, I'll go ahead and make the pitch. This is 70 minutes of your time that's well, well worth spending in front of a great old black and white universal film with some really wonderful, uh, characters in it. I agree with exactly what you said. And I'm going to add into it. This is also a good one for people that don't normally want to watch a horror film, I think, to watch mm-hmm. because it's not really, to me, a horror film as much as a drama. So if you know somebody that likes the, the, the 30s style dramas, especially, this is something that you can throw in and um, they, they should readily enjoy because of all the different things that we've already brought up. So I think it works for a broader audience. And it's just, it's just sad that it's kind of like the, um, the child that nobody knows about Dracula's daughter is like, uh, you know, we need, people need to know. <laughs> That's exactly. But I want to thank you again for helping me out with 
Derek's show with Monster Kid Radio to get these episodes out so we can keep him show going out weekly while, we, while he's doing that stuff in Kuwait. And I hope everybody's everything, again, is going safe over there. If you and Beth and you guys are enjoying it. But I want to thank you again, Kevin, for helping me out. Always, always glad to be a part of the Monster Kid uh, radio world. And especially in this, this case here, helping out when, when Derek is doing what could possibly be one of the coolest things like anybody could have ever imagined. When I saw what he was going to be up to with this uh, hot creation in Kuwait, I was like, never in a million years would I have imagined that's what, that's what someone would end up doing, let alone uh, a friend of mine. Like that, that's just so cool. So glad to be a part of helping out in that case. And for listeners wondering, um, Kevin's going to be joining me again in a future episode of Monster Kid Radio when we go to Son of Dracula. But thanks for listening again, and Derek, hope everything's safe. There is nothing new under the sun, but under the small green fourth moon of Yavin, there is quite a different story. <laughs> Director George Lucas and 20th Century Fox present... Star Wars. Luke Skywalker is on a daring mission to rescue a beautiful princess, and all he needs is a little help from his friends. Han Solo, space pirate, and Chewie, his giant Wookiee, C-3PO, human relations cyborg, and his counterpart R2-D2, and the mysterious Jedi Knight. Never before in the history of movies has so much time and technology been spent just for fun. Star Wars. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. All right, folks. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the podcast. Big thanks to Steve and Kevin for that awesome conversation. It was really cool, and it's going to continue next week when Kevin comes back with another guest starring, uh, guest hosting stint, uh, a guesting, a, a Joan Rivers-ing with Steve Turek, where they're going to talk about the Son of Dracula film with Lon Chaney Jr., not the other film called Son of Dracula, which I'm sure Kenny will probably play a trailer for during his segment from Famous Monsters of Film Night, and I love that he does that. Anyway, uh, Son of Dracula next week was Kevin and Steve. And, you know, big thanks to those two guys, to Kenny, to Mark, and to you for listening to the show. I meant it at the top of the show when I kind of implied that uh, I really appreciate all the support with reviews and reposts and retweets and sharing and thumbs upping and just letting people know about what we do here on Monster Kid Radio. While the schedule has been a little all over the place lately, the bottom line is that there's over 10 years of Monster Kid Radio for anyone to listen to. So if you know anybody who's a fan of classic monster movies, please send them our way or send them to the website at monsterkidradio.net where you're going to find links to everything that we talk about here on the show. You're also going to find links to our Facebook page and group, our Twitter, our Discord, and our Patreon, and our contact information. You can email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or you can call and leave us a voicemail at area code 360-524-2488. If you have any feedback about Dracula's Daughter, Dracula, or Subtle Dracula, or really anything Monster Kid-related, Monster Movie-related, send it in. I'd love to include you on an upcoming episode of the podcast. 
Of course, we are also an Amazon affiliate link, so please click on that Frankenstein profile with the Amazon A in the middle of it if you're going to do any shopping on Amazon, because if you do that, well, that helps us out because we get like a penny or two scraped off the top of anything that you buy on Amazon. It doesn't cost you anything extra. It just takes a few pennies out of the pocket of Rocketman Jeff Bezos and puts them into the Monster Kid radio coffers. So please consider doing that. Also, did you know that we sell shirts? Of course you do, because I talk about it every once in a while, and we've been talking about it lately here on the show. Go to deathdesigns.bigcartel.com. Death is spelled D-E-T-H, and then designs, as it's normally spelled, .bigcartel.com, or follow the link in the show notes. And you can pick up a Crestwood House movie, Hawaiian-style shirt, a monster movie, one-sheet, and lobby card collage shirt, the popcorn shirt, the 3D glasses shirt. These are the Hawaiian shirts that I wear all the time, and everywhere I go, people comment on them. And you want people commenting on them, too, because it gives you a chance to talk about monster movies with people who think these shirts are cool. I think they're cool. 40 bucks a pop, free shipping here in the U.S. If you're out of the U.S. and you want to pick up a shirt, shoot me an email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com, and we'll figure out what shipping is going to cost. But yeah, go check that out. Huh? I'd really appreciate it. Also, we're still on TeePublic. TeePublic.com slash user slash monsterkidradio. Pick yourself up a Monster Kid Radio t-shirt. Okay, I said at the beginning of the show that at the end of the show, I was going to talk a little bit more about the personal stuff going on. And, and I'm just going to put it all out there because I feel like you all are a part of my tribe. You know, your Monster Kids, your podcast listeners of Monster Kid Radio, your friends. I trust you. So here's the deal. Uh, there, there are a couple of other things going on in my life right now. Uh, I've talked about this on Facebook with some people, but uh, I do struggle with depression and it is being treated, but it's been getting bad lately because of a number of external factors as well as internal. But externally, we've been struggling because, well, as I said earlier, the Kuwait job ended two months earlier than it should have. And there are a number of different reasons for that. And I'm actually writing a book about it, so I'm not going to get too into the weeds on it there. But uh, it, it did change things. Financially, uh, it really changed things. So that's been a real stressor and a real trigger uh, for me. Speaking of employment and money and finances, I'm looking for a job again. So if you are either in the Vancouver, Washington area and know of anybody looking for, well, a 50-year-old monster kid who... He's a good worker, I swear, I, I really am. Or, more preferably, uh, a remote job. I would love to take on a remote, like, customer service position. I've done a lot of customer service in my life. Uh, over 20 years of experience doing customer service. I could slot into something like that real quick and real easily if the opportunity were to present itself. So if you know of an opportunity that is about to present or is presenting, let me know and I'll be the presenter. I'm losing my thread here a little bit. Anyway, uh, brother's looking for work, and uh, I would love to uh, take on some work so I can keep the lights going and Beth and I can move on to whatever it is the next part of our life is going to bring us. Also, Beth is looking to do more within the haunt industry. We really, really enjoyed what we did over in Kuwait. And again, book is forthcoming later this year, more than likely. That'll talk all about it. Uh, but in very broad brush strokes, it was an amazing experience and really showed Beth what she wants to do in the industry in a way that all of her other experiences has been preparing her for. 
And I would love to be involved in the haunted industry as well. It would be wonderful to be consultants, you know, so if we can find a consulting job, that would be great too. Uh, so if you are aware of any uh, haunt opportunities anywhere in the country, and I mean that, anywhere in the U.S., please drop me a line at monsterkidradio at gmail.com and I'll send you all the information that you'll need to see that uh, Beth is really the, the ingredient you need to make your haunt spookier, scarier, and most importantly, more profitable than it's ever been. So anyway, that's kind of what's going on here. We're looking for work. I'm struggling with my depression and we're trying real hard to get back on track. Again, I'm really thankful that Steve Turek is there for me. Uh, he did these recordings because he thought I was going to be in Kuwait for three and a half months. You know, it's just a happy accident that I've got all these extra recordings sitting here. So next week, Son of Dracula with Kevin Slick. All right, let's go ahead and wrap up and remind you that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license, except, of course, the song Solid State Reverb. That is copyright 2018, The Nebulas. You can find it on their EP release, Action Faction. You can find them online at thenebulas.bandcamp.com, and you want to check it out because in April, they've got a new album coming out called Euphorion. I haven't heard anything from it yet, but I can't wait to get my ears on it. I bet it's going to sound awesome, just like this song does. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week, or the next time the episode comes out. Maybe next week? Ciao. Ciao.